Welcome to another episode of Infinity X, where we give a stage and microphone to human excellence in the pursuit of never-ending opportunities and merging ecosystems with world-renowned entrepreneurs and influencers. Now, here's your host, David Harder. From the production studios of Epic Financial Strategies here in Red Bank, New Jersey, we are Infinity X, giving a stage and microphone to human excellence in the constant pursuit of creating ecosystem merger opportunities, golden nuggets, and key takeaways from people who have been there, done that, and to give a platform for the story of human excellence and to give entrepreneurs the opportunity to take action on connecting with people that they see in their future. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming into We Are Infinity X. I'm David Harder, co-founder Infinity X Replay on WeAreInfinityX.com, We Are Infinity X YouTube. And I got to tell you, I have been incredibly excited over the last two weeks over our guest this evening, getting to know our guest. This is none other than T-Shane Johnson. T-Shane, you there, brother? I am, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing tonight, man? Oh, I'm doing, I'm doing awesome. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for being here. Ladies and gentlemen, this is T-Shane Johnson. Um, served our country proudly keynote speaker, motivational speaker, world record holder. Uh, I, you know, the, the list literally goes on and on and on. T. Shane Johnson on Instagram, over 16,000 followers, featured in Forbes, featured in Fox News. Um, you know, you, you name it, and there's been exposure to it. And so, you know, T. Shane, I can't thank you enough for joining us this evening. Our conversation a couple of weeks ago was really, really powerful, really inspirational, motivational. And what I love to do with our, you know, with our audience is just to give them the opportunity to understand a little bit of the journey of human excellence, where you're from and where you're now, um, and then move into your messaging this evening, which is, you know, centered around entrepreneurship, how you can, you know, overlay, uh, how you can overlay business strategy with, um, you know, with, with uh, you know, real life, real life strategy, right? And how the two intertwine and put your message out to the world. But why don't you just share with the audience a little bit of, uh, of your background, where you're from and, um, you know, what led you up until, uh, you know, up, up, up to where you are today? Oh, geez. Um, yeah. So for one, thank you for that phenomenal intro. Um, I'm really not that cool, but uh, it, it's, uh, I, I'm from Florida originally, born and raised, um, small cow town. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that Florida is predominantly cattle and citrus. Um, unfortunately, right now, Florida is, it was hit pretty hard, especially my town by Hurricane Ian. So um, they're going through a, quite a bit right now, trying to kind of gather themselves and, and get the community back together as much as possible. They got hit with Charlie, got hit with Ian. Um, so that poor little town's been getting um, demolished quite a bit. So I um, feel very unfortunate for those families, but I'm sure they'll, you know, they'll pull together. Um, you know, like any person that's joined the military, I would say, I would say a large part of us that served, at least in the Marine Corps anyways, we were just looking for an opportunity to get out. Um, for me, I, college wasn't an option. I was kind of naive to the process. I didn't realize that I could have that option to go to Citadel or Naval Academy. Um, that information wasn't provided to me on a basis that I could say, oh, okay, I could go do that. I just thought, hey, you know what? Um, I want to be the best. I want to be part of the best. And the Marine Corps was the avenue that was the best fit for me. So two days out of graduating high school, I had the fortunate opportunity to go to the Marine Corps. Incredible. And where you, it was... Where, um, it, where were you stationed, stationed originally? 
Um, well, I first went to Paris Island as an East Coast Marine, finished there. Then I went to 29 Palms, California for my first two years and then Camp Pendleton um, for the latter half of my career. And and what was the focus and, was in, in, in the core? Like, what was that? What was that journey like? It was great, man. Um, I mean, I, I loved it. I was very fortunate. I graduated uh, top of my class right out of boot camp. I was meritorious promoted three times before I even made it to the fleet, which is, you know, unheard of. Um, I advanced really quick. I was really great at being a Marine. Um, it was a great opportunity, you know, and, and what I loved about the Marine Corps was nothing was ever given. It was always earned. So if you were, if you got a spot, it's because you earned that spot. And it was, it was a phenomenal opportunity for me for someone who's never really experienced much in a small town. I was able to travel the world, see all kinds of different places, be a part of some of the most elite units in the world. Um, and I, and I had to earn that tape, you know, that, that, that seat at the table. So it was, it was phenomenal. I loved every second of it as far as what the Marine Corps offered and the opportunities that provided allowing me to excel, to be, you know, the best that I could be. And I was, and to that point, do you find that your experiences in the core um, overlay into your experiences with building business and, you know, uh, you know, the, um, uh, you know, the coaching that you provide, the mentorship that you provide today, do you apply those same disciplines and those same principles in your daily life? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, Marine being a Marine doesn't make up every aspect of my life. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a small part to a lot of things that played a role in that, but I would say definitely when it comes to the foundation of going forward and all of my failures, um, in life and in business um, played a huge role in getting me out of them. I think that's what the Marine Corps is best at is adversity, um, giving you as much as possible. And Marine Corps is the most underfunded branch. So we're taught to do way more with way less. And I think in business, especially when you're starting a business, that's the best resource to have is the ability to be able to do a whole lot with a whole little. And that is unbelievable. I never, ever knew that that was the case until you shared that with me a couple of weeks ago. Why is it so underfunded? Is it just because, you know, the Air Force required, like, it would, I, I actually can't even come up with a good rationale for it. Why is it the most underfunded branch? Yeah, well, I think of, think of it a lot like your business models. I mean, your operational and corporate headquarters take up a majority of your walking expenses when it comes to your business business. So it's really kind of the same thing. It's the largest dominating corporation in the world when you think of it. Um, the Marine Corps is a special tactical unit that's only specifically focused for one thing. And traditional warfare is not something that's going to be fought in the future. So as as being a Marine, our job is a lot like Viking Raiders, right? Our ability to go in, take control of something, um, secure, and then allow the bigger units to come in. And more than likely, you're not going to get a lot of funding for that because there's only one objective for us, right? That's either to secure, control, you know, take over um, a short amount of time and then let, you know, the other branches come in. So, um, and, and that's, that's part of our character. I mean, that's what defines us. I mean, you know, a lot of other branches, not to, not that I'm knocking it, but only because I can speak as a Marine, you know, other branches are, are titles that are given to you, whereas a Marine is something that you hold forever. You know, other people don't say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a soldier. They say, well, I served in the army or I, you know, I'm, I'm army, I'm Navy, you know, a Marine is a Marine. We're Marine through and throughout, you know, the rest of our lives, no matter what. Yeah. You know, I had the good fortune of having a couple of clients who have also served the country in the Marine Corps. And I had the great fortune of attending a retirement ceremony uh, down at Camp Lejeune. And this is about, a, about two years ago. And 
I, you know, I, I have never experienced an experienced anything like it. Um, the attention to detail, all the way down to you know the, the you know the turning of the steps and you know the handing of the flag and all those things was just it, it just absolutely blew my mind. But one of the things that I did take notice of was that yeah, well, the tremendous amount of discipline that comes along with that. I mean, again, yeah. I, those are factors that play a role into it. Yeah. And, and, and one of the things in particular that I did take notice of also is that they don't, you know, they don't necessarily typically refer to, you guys don't, uh, they, you know, if I'm referring to this gentleman over here, it's that Marine. I'm referring to that Marine. I'm referring to, you know, that, in, you know, and I don't think in the Navy you necessarily say I'm referring to that midshipman, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, it's, yeah. just, it's yeah. different mindset you guys are different man i'll tell you what god bless you thank you for your service to the country and you know let's talk a little bit about your service to the country because your service to the country shaped much of you know who you are today from a standpoint of your deployment which would, would you be kind enough to share that with the good folks some of the experience that you had when you got deployed yeah i mean for me it wasn't like a traditional of the marines during that time of course that was right during 9 11 so um you know, I, I had a little bit of a different experience than most um, during my time of getting the opportunity to be able to be deployed. You know, I did my traditional deployment to Japan where we trained with the Japanese. Um, we came back. Um, I don't have the the flair story, good, bad or indifferent of, of the combat side of it when it comes to Afghanistan or Iraq. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately for me, I was I was robbed of that opportunity by um, MS-13. So. Um, I was targeted as initiation to be attempted murder on during my tenure uh, while I was stationed at Camp Pendleton with 1st Reconnaissance Battalion and um, prior to 9-11. So um, that's my part where, you know, I died and came back to life and experienced and went oh. through that that trauma um, just before just before 9-11 had happened. Oh, yeah, and. and- uh, can you can you just explain because uh, I, I don't really have optics and I'm not sure that the good folks out there have quite optics on what exactly you just described. All, I mean, quite honestly, the only thing that I heard the, you share is I died and came back. Can you, wh- what happened? Yeah, that's the that's the claim to fame. Right. So um, as I was with First Reconnaissance Battalion and Camp Margaret and Camp Pendleton, and we were in the middle of um, kind of an OJT program. So, again, Marine Corps is very underfunded, and at the time, battalion recon, first battalion recon was extremely underfunded. So they were attached to what we call headquarters division. Normally, they're their own independent unit, but at that time, they were attached to headquarters because of funding. So they ran through a program called, like an OJT. Normally, you would go to BRC or ARS, a lot of acronyms that basically mean amphibious reconnaissance school or basic reconnaissance course. Um, so the best way to explain it for those that don't know much about um recon marines is really like the navy seal so it's our version of what a buds would be um so we would go through that three-month course and then we would come back as an 0321 um, which is our mos title and then we would serve as what's called an operator and then we would be assigned to a team um so think seal team six you know which everybody knows um kind of the same same format so for us at the time we couldn't afford to go to the what they call those billets so we did an ojt program um, we were training for pre-scuba so the marine corps one thing i will say one of the many things I will say about the Marine Corps is, is that they don't accept failure at any level. So when you get ready to go to a school, so let's say you're going to go to scuba, you know, or dive, uh, you're going to go to ranger, you're going to go to sniper school, you're going to go to all these different types of schools. You train prior to going so that your success rate is extremely high. So it's not like, hey, this guy or gal is awesome. 
we're going to send them to this this unit and then we're going to see how they do they cannot accept failure for that and it's a lot like business too when you think about it really they the, the funding is allocated to the guys and gals that are the best so right. they don't want to send right your company to this big giant you know uh, high level leadership conference and the guy ends up at the bar drinking all night long and, and fell out of it so it's really kind of the same thing we spent about three months doing that we were doing 1500 meter swims a day you know five ten mile runs pull-ups sit-ups you know you name it probably best shape i've ever been in my life um, during that time and we were on the course of training with the operators and we had a, a free weekend what we call liberty a 72. So we had uh, some time. I just had some really close friends of mine finish sniper school uh, right down the road. Um, they, they just finished. We got together and said, hey, we want to go to a buddy of mine in Corona. You guys want to go hang out? I said, yeah, I'll be there. And I was driving a motorcycle at the time. And I said, I'll, I'll be there about an hour later. Um, I need to wrap up some stuff before, before I head that way. So they went ahead of me. I came out about an hour later, about the back of the base. Um, as I was heading down Fallbrook, California, going down a hill, Basically, the gist of it is a car was sitting out there targeting uh, military for gang initiation. And as I was going down the hill, they took a car and caught me at 45 miles an hour off the motorcycle. So I caught the corner of a brick house at 45 miles an hour across my chest. Yeah. So every major bone in my upper body was broken. Collarbone, shoulder blade, hand, all of my ribs were broken. My entire chest cavity down the middle was broken in half. Um, then all of my ribs punctured all my major organs, lacerated all my major organs. My left bicep had a, uh, a laceration all the way down that ran through here. Um, and then I had three 50 cent size whole pieces that were punctured into my lungs. Oh, and as soon as I hit the ground, they, they got out and started to kick me to death, um, robbed me, took my stuff and figured I was dead. So once they left because of the gang and the location, nobody would help me. So um, I managed somehow to put my you know, right hand over my left bicep to, to control the bleeding and started to walk two blocks to a fire station, taking one full breath every minute. Um, so normally I go on stage when I'm talking to people, I always say, try to put them in that experience. So just imagine being able to hold your breath for one minute, you know, and then exhale and then take a, a two block walk during that while you're, you know, you're losing, you know, um, a large portion of your blood and that, the hardest part for me was when I was looking down because of all of the bones that were broken, my chest was expanding because of the fluid, because I was drowning in my own oh. blood. So um, I was watching, I'll never forget it. I watched, I have like dreams about it, it watching my chest just expand uh, because there was nothing holding that skin there. So um, I got to a fire station and fortunately there was a doctor on site and they brought it in the helicopter to bathe light me out. And that was the first time that I flatlined. Um, you got to remember they couldn't do chest compressions on me because of my, my flail chest. They couldn't really do a whole lot of anything. So they, they, they were trying they put paddles on me, um, to, to zap me back. Uh, that was the first time. Uh, then they, they had to take a scalpel and, and, and cut underneath my chest muscles, my pec muscles in order to run chest tubes in about the size of your thumb to bust through to release the fluid. Once they did that, um, that's, I, I couldn't breathe anymore. Obviously my lungs you know, shriveled up like balloons and fluid was all out of my body. And, and I was about checking out. We finally got to the hospital and we landed. And when we did, uh, I flatlined out the second time. Now, this one, I was, I was dead for quite some time. Uh, I think maybe about 65 seconds or so that I was gone. They paddled, 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 brought me back. Um, I got down to the hospital. They started to intubate me. Uh, and then the third time I flatlined and this one, they actually declared me dead and, and 
somehow, some way, I don't know if somebody kept working on me again, some of it even years from now, still a blur, uh, I came back to life and, um, and that was my third time going through that. So I ended up losing 54 pounds in two weeks, had to learn how to walk, talk and breathe. And I was in CCU, ICU for almost six months, total hospital, close to eight months, maybe a year, um, between in and out. And then, um, that, yeah, that was it. I didn't have any, they couldn't do rehab. They couldn't do surgery. They couldn't do anything because my lungs were so messed up. You know, I, there wasn't anything they could do. They couldn't put me under. So I had to heal naturally. And because of the unit I was with, they were a specialized unit. It wasn't like a normal unit where you'd have all this care. I, I didn't have that. So I just had to uh, rehab on my own and oh my. Um, started getting back in the gym again, hitting the pool. And I was, I was still with the unit the whole time. And I had uh, somehow six months after I'd gotten out, I'd gotten to where I could do, I was what they call fully operational. I could do 20 pull-ups, a hundred crunches in 60 seconds. And I could run a three mile PFT um, in less than 18 minutes. Period of time and, of uh, time. Yeah. Within about six months. Yeah. It was pretty crazy. That was, uh, it was muscle memory is an amazing thing. I'll tell you that's what, but that's also what I say. You Marines, you guys are different. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's just, I, I, I don't even have the words. And, and Tishane, let me ask you a question. Do you have any recollection at all of any of this as all of this was transpiring? Do you have any visions? Did you feel out-of-body experiences or anything like that? All this oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, shared my moment with God, absolutely. I mean, uh, unfortunately, you know, this, carry, this weight carries with me for a very long time. Um, it's something I suffer from as far as a large level of PTSD. Um, you know, I have tremendous nightmares. I think I'm going to die every day. I sleep probably only about two hours a night. Um, there's a heavy burden that comes with it. Um, but the, the, the experience most people always ask me is, is did you, you know, did you have that outer body? Did you see God? And that's really what led me down the path that I am today, you know, to segue into really the rest of the stuff is, you know, I, I, on the third time that I died, um, there's a lot like you see in the movies in the sense of that you do, you know, for me anyways, you know, coming out of my body. Um, and I was seeing everybody working on me and I had, uh, a subconscious conversation with what I call God, right? So whatever you call it, it's up to interpretation, God being a higher power of whatever you believe in. So from my experience, it wasn't a physical being, it was more a subconscious conversation. And it was, um, best way I like to explain it for me is, is the, the purest form of euphoria. I, I think maybe it's almost like if you ever, when you were a kid, you go down to the bottom of the pool and you sit there and you can't hear anything, you know, life has so much noise coming at us between bills and children and everything that we're expected to do. And it just feels like there's just constant noise. And all of that was completely gone. And there was this conversation that I had that said, you know, you can choose one way, which is you can give up and, and it's a guilt-free give up. It wasn't like if I give up on some type of loser, it was a give up of today can be your day if you choose to be that. And all of the pain went away. And, and when I express pain, it's not necessarily the physical pain I was feeling, but all of the mental trauma and all of the experiences throughout my life that were challenging me to get to this point were completely gone. Um, I like to call it my competitive advantage now to most to the things that I do, because I know for a fact that during my experience, that if life ends for me, there is something that is there extra. So it allows me to go that little further mile than most most would um, and that was my first choice or the second choice was you can continue to live, but you'll have to share the story. And I know that always sounds very tagline, very cheesy considering my career choice now, but it really was, I had, no, I wasn't a speaker. I'm a natural introvert. That was not something that I had ever planned on doing. I was a career Marine. I had just made it to the unit. I'd worked so hard to get to, 
you know, um, I, I had all these plans. I, I had all these plans just for the Marine Corps. I didn't have any plans afterwards. So it was, it was, that was the only way it was all ships were burned. So that was my, uh, that was my conversation. Of course, you know, jokes on everybody. As I always say, I chose door number two and continue to live. <laughs> and, and that was my out of body experience. Ladies and gentlemen, we are Infinity X giving a stage and microphone to pure human excellence. And this is T. Shane Johnson. He is, you know, sharing with us just, I've never heard a story like this in my entire life, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I've heard, I've heard uh, stories of struggle. I've heard near-death experiences. I've never in my life met somebody who flatlined three times and, um, you know, I, I can as vividly talk about what that experience of choice really, really looked like. And um, if you're not sitting on the edge of your seat right now, uh, the, you don't have a pulse, quite frankly. Um, you know, replay, we are infinityx.com, we are infinityx YouTube, and you can find him on at, at, at T. Shane Johnson on Instagram. And so T. Shane, so you have this unbelievable, unbelievable, uh, horrible experience. And, um, you know, it, it justifiably so with the with with PTSD and, you know, uh, you know, post I call it postpartum, you know, uh, challenge with that. But, um, you know, what happened next? Yeah, well, uh, 9-11 happened, uh, which was, you know, obviously a, a, a very um, traumatic thing. And uh, my unit was called first, um, probably before most of you experienced anything that was going on. We were already in a... a a uh, trailer container talking about where we were going to do, where we were going to go, and what we we're going to do as far as a blue dart message is concerned. Um, and we got a brief on what was going to happen. We we're going to deploy to Hawaii first, and then then ship out. And I was about three months from uh, getting out, what we call EASing out. And I went to the dive locker to uh, to reenlist to serve overseas. And my gunny at the dive locker at the time um, asked me to go pick a box up out of the corner and bring it over to him before I decided to reenlist. And uh, I looked down at the box and he said, look down there. And it said, Johnson dead on it. That's during the third time they had called back to my command and said that um, I didn't make it. So they had went and gathered all my stuff and, and boxed it up and put it together to basically, you know, say, hey, we're going to send home the family. And um, he said, I'm not going to let you reenlist. You're, you know, there's no, I'm not going to go through the, have that on my conscience if you're dying this time and then go back out and potentially dying again. He said, so you're going to get out and try to go do something a little more. So. I got out of the core and uh, attempted college uh, was not for was not for me uh, during that time of my life, and uh, and then I ended up in uh, in in mortgages and finance and sales, uh, and uh, that started my uh, my mortgage background. Okay, and so let's talk a little bit about that. So, what attracted you to mortgages? <laughs> I didn't even know what it was, man. I <laughs> I had like I grew up I grew up so poor. Um, my dad was a single dad. My, my mother left us when we were nine. My younger brother was blind and mentally handicapped. I mean, we had quite a few challenges of our own before I'd gotten in the Marine Corps. And, and um, I, I didn't know the difference. I had interviewed with Boston Market and at the time, AmeriQuest Mortgage. And they said uh, I was going to sell some chicken or sell some loans. And I honestly didn't know the difference. I just knew that I, I, I thought, hey, you know what? They're going to give me a, a little salary of 24000 and I'm going to be able to wear a suit and tie. It's a lot more than most people in my family. I was ready to go. And uh, I had actually kind of accepted the job with the Boston Market to be a, a manager there. And uh, the lady was a phenomenal salesperson at the mortgage company. And she says, well, what do you got to lose? Just come in and interview. So I went down. And the gist of that story is I just I sat in front of them. I used to always carry a Windex bottle with me 
little fun little technique I learned uh, uh, when I was doing some gym sales. But I would bring a Windex bottle with me. And they'd always ask, why do you have a Windex bottle? And I'd say, oh, it's for my new desk. That's why I brought it. You know, I'd try to go ahead and assume the clothes. And uh, and the guy, the gist of that story is he came in and he said, here's mortgages. I didn't know what it was. I really didn't understand sales at the time. Um, and he brought in his top guy and he slapped down a paste up in front of me and it had some numbers highlighted on it. And I was like, okay, well, what's this? And it said like $66,458. And I was like, oh my God, you made that in a year. Like, holy cow, that's a lot of money. You know, I was like, I'm blown away. And he goes, the guy, they laughed at me, you know, like I was some little hillbilly out in the woods. And they said, no, I made that last month. Huh. And I remember <laughs> leaning over, I, I leaned over and I said, I don't even care if it's illegal and we're selling drugs here. I was like, let's roll. I was like, let's do it. You know, uh, uh, <laughs> like, let, let's, let's make this happen. Um, so yeah, that's, that started my mortgage career. And it, and it was funny because the first 90 days in the job, I made 67,000 my first month ever actually selling loans because it was the easiest job in the world. All I had to do was work in the AC and wear a tie and pick up the phone. And I was like, this is, did people complain about like that? You guys go to like lunch and you do, I was like, this is insane. Like it was, it blew my mind. Yeah. Yeah. That was the time that was a real uh, irrationally exuberant time in the mortgage business, right? You know, you had, you know, <laughs> you had the adjustable rate, you know, the adjustable rate and the uh, subprime issues and all those things. But I'll tell you what, you had a pulse, you, you had a pulse, you're picking up a mortgage at that particular point, not to discount what you were doing, but that was one hell of a time to get into the mortgage industry, man. I got to tell you. Well, I, you know, um, I think in anything we can always dissect the good, bad, and indifferent of experiences. And, you know, though, now, looking back, obviously, people who know AmeriQuest know the story of all the mortgage companies and what's happening in the industry now. You know, I think the best way to explain it for me is it allowed me to be the speaker I am today. It allowed me to overcome a lot of objections, allowed me to be a phenomenal salesperson and an orator in a way to articulate things I normally wouldn't. I cut my teeth on phone sales, so I love it. I think it's the foundation of communication, the ability to be able to pick up the phone when all else fails, to be able to, to adjust your tone and to reflect and to build a relationship from a complete stranger that you can't even connect with face-to-face. -face. It takes a talent that is um, dying very much, but it is a major asset in organizations that I talk about now because people can't seem to communicate, but COVID was a great paradigm shift to showing how, how important that communication is. Amen. And it allowed me and it allowed me to appreciate the fight of being what it is to be an American. Because that company paid me exactly what I thought I was worth. Um, you know, they said, listen, if you think you're number one, we'll compensate you accordingly. And I learned that sales by far is, is the fuel of everything in life, no matter what, whether you're selling your kid to go to sleep or you're selling somebody to go on a date with you or you're selling someone to take your product or, or anything that you offer. And it was, it was, you know, when you asked me that question about the Marine Corps, I think I, I think I kind of about, you know, does it play a part in my career? I I'm, I'm, I'm biased to that because obviously being a Marine is a large part of who I am. But to be honest with you, getting in phone sales and being a part of the mortgage industry and finance and doing that was probably made a bigger impact on my ability to be successful. The Marine Corps plays a role in my ability to come out of failure um, mm -hmm. and utilize the resources of things that I've learned to embrace the suck and say, OK, I'm going to go into the next step. Incredible. Right. Folks, we are Infinity X stage and microphone human excellence. This is T. Shane Johnson sharing the correlation between what happened in the Marine Corps, his experience with the Marine Corps, the takeaways from the Marine Corps, and his experience in the massive acceleration that he, that he experienced in the mortgage industry, and how the two paradigms between sales and core really, really, um, you know, melt, meld in as one.
quite honestly, you know, and, and I, I got so much, I got so much out of that shared T Shane, because, you know, you know, when, when you're approaching and, and you and I, and, and I am um, somebody who prides himself on, you know, the adoption of a formula that I was taught by a business partner of ours, uh, Sean Calgie, shout out to Sean, um, about how to take somebody from hello to yes with integrity. And I think that that is a very, to your point, dying art. I don't think that people do it well. Um, I think that people do it incredibly suboptimally because I think that typical sales trading is really, really antiquated. It's old. It doesn't work in today's world. And um, it doesn't produce the results that you really, really want to level into because emotional rapport is one of the hardest things in the world to develop, you know, particularly, as you said, with COVID over the phone. But let me just let me get back to um, you know, your journey in the mortgage space. What happened? Uh, did, did you remain in the mortgage space through 2008? Like what 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 was the paradigm shift for you as you accelerated in your sales career? Yeah, so I'm actually, I, I'm still in it. I own a small brokerage independently, just a couple of people. It's nothing really big. Um, it's just really kind of something that's on autopilot that I continue to do based on relationships and things that I have. Um, it, it, no, so in 2000, I did all the way up to 2008. Obviously, there was a major recession during 2008. Uh, 2006, I had opened up my first brokerage. I was 26 years old at the time my first business. And that's the time when I learned the difference between being an entrepreneur and a salesperson. Um, at the time, I was a really good salesperson and a horrible entrepreneur. And meaning that I didn't understand the dynamic of, of developing a business in the sense of delegation, because I was a lone wolf salesperson, like put me on the yeah. phones, let me do my job and I can sell, yep. but build an organization. And that was way more challenging because I expected like a being a Marine, I expected everyone to think and work and act like me. Like, why wouldn't you look at the opportunity? What's here in front of you and realizing that drivers and leadership personalities are totally different. Um, in the sense of not everybody's a Marine and not everyone thinks that way. And not everybody values, you know, financial independence like you do. Sometimes it's time, it's family. And when you're a single 26-year-old guy with a business and you've never had that, it's kind of hard for you to, to open up your vision at that age. I was very immature in the sense of leadership at the time based on that model I was in. So um, my business ultimately failed and I lost it. And it put me in financial ruin because I um, had, you know, when you make money, uh, a lot of people want it and you leverage it out in a lot of different ways. And I was inexperienced and I ended up losing everything. Matter of fact, I lost everything so much that I was uh, homeless for two years, oh, um, oh. literally on the streets, living in the woods. And that was a combination I learned later on in life. You know, I, I beat myself up pretty hard about that. But later on in life, that was a combination of my trauma that I never addressed back from when I went through my accident and uh, uh, the loss of my business and feeling of a failure and uh, the inability to be able to dig out of that as fast as I would have liked to. Oh, oh my God, T. Shane, I just there's so much to unpack with that. Let me go. Let me first before we, before we get to the that two year window and journey. Let me get back to um, let me ask you because 88 percent of startup businesses fail in the United States, right? And to your point, the greatest salesperson in the world is not the greatest entrepreneur in the world. In fact, in most cases, unbelievably dynamic salespeople don't necessarily equate to leadership and entrepreneurship. Right. Um, Michael Jordan was the worst basketball coach. You know, he was the greatest basketball player of all time. Right. Doesn't necessarily equate from one side to the other. What would you change? What would you change? What, what did you take away? What did you learn? But what would you change about the uh, about your approach with the with the brokerage firm? 
Well, well, I, I, I wouldn't change anything. Um, I, I think, you know, when people ask that question, obviously there's, you know, well, would I will go back? I mean, I am absolutely exactly where I'm supposed to be based on God's yeah. conversation many years ago. So I think I'm a little different of a person to well, ask me, that question. I refrain. think for the yeah. sake of the audience and, and, yeah. and for the sake of, for the sake of the conversation, I think it'll yeah. change exactly what I think we need to change as, as a, uh, corporation and industries as a whole. So when I do executive leadership coaching or I'm working with companies or I'm having a conversation, one of the things always interesting me is how they always combine producing sales with management. And I always hate that because the company that I was with, the reason why I was so successful at AmeriQuest, because AmeriQuest, I feel, did it absolutely perfect when it came to their structure, is the top salespeople were top salespeople, period, end of story. They didn't have to, and when, when you became a manager, you became a manager and that was your only focus. You weren't, okay, well, I'm going to go sell in my territory. I'm going to go make money for the company. I'm going to go basically subsidize losses for staff because the company doesn't want to invest anything in their people. And I'll bring in the income to basically like running my own independent business to, to substantiate the staff. And then from there, we'll do it together. And I didn't like that because I was eating off the same plate as, as my staff. So when I went to run my organization, I ran it completely opposite of what I should have done. I didn't invest in the right management staff or allow myself to put myself in a position to manage my team. I was too busy trying to eat. So I didn't, I didn't lead mm. people. I said, okay, well, hey, listen, I'll sell some deals and make some money. You need to do it too. And that's not a great, at the time, that wasn't a great way to lead my organization. Um, I learned later on in life that I feel the best way to run your organization is to invest in your leadership the best possible way. Because I always ask, I'll, I'll get into a conference room or do something and I'll ask a business, what are you in the business of, especially when it's leadership? And they'll say, well, you know, we're in the business of selling this and doing this. I'm like, no, you're in the business of people, employees, period, end of story. You don't worry about production. You don't worry about sales. That's what their job is. Your job is to worry about how do you effectively get them to produce large amount of numbers, how do you make them successful? How do you allow them the time to be able to do what they do best? And then you got all the Michael Jordans and you've got someone that's able to kind of manage and control that. They're not worrying about, well, I've got to, I'm not going to make enough money. So I've got to go sell a little bit because the commission structure looks better on that platform versus my, my management platform. So if I had to go back, I would have structured it the way that organization did versus Lone Wolf in it, you know, relatively maybe being a little undercapitalized. And saying, okay, well, I could just sell it. I'll just sell it. I'll just sell it. Make it, you know, not realizing that I needed to delegate out myself and my staff. So that would have been the key takeaway. I love that. I love that, folks. We are Infinity X stage and microphone, human excellence. T. Shane Johnson, all things excellence. And we haven't even unpacked all the best, all the best parts yet, ladies and gentlemen. If, if you can actually believe that. But T. Shane, homelessness, two years. Um, I can't. You know, I don't want to go into that you know, necessarily deeply because, you know, I don't know how, I, I don't, you know, I respect, I, I respect your privacy, but I will ask. You're you, good. You're good. Don't worry. It's part well, of the platform. Go for well, it. Let, well, let's, let, let, let's, let's, let's dig into that a little bit then. If you, if you could, how sure. did you forget about digging in? How'd you dig yourself out? How'd you overcome that? Um, you know, do you know why the military, I will say, well, let me say the Marine Corps, because I can't speak for other branches when I say that, but why we do what's called immediate action drills, why we do the same repetitive thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because, you know, when you're, when you're teaching a concealed weapons class and you're talking about the average person, let's say police officer, you know, regular person at home, you know, at home security, they'll probably never pull their weapon. Mm. Never. And 
they'll never put themselves in experience. Now they'll always carry in the sense of protection, but very rarely, right? That percentage has got to be like 0.00001% of ever will they have the opportunity to pull their weapon. And when you don't, when you don't train every single day for that, it is hard for that muscle memory to start to replay itself during that time. The Marine Corps teaches you, though you may be fearful, may you may be scared, you've practiced this so many times that it doesn't matter. Your body will automatically do all of those things that it's supposed to do because you've done it so many times. It's so repetitive. For me, when I went through that experience, it was a matter of there comes a time like in anything else where resting on your laurels right, is something that mentally you start to do, but your body's actions start to regurgitate a lot of the information that you've learned and you've done. So naturally, when you have a conversation, you're having a conversation in sales mode. You're, you're everything that you're doing. When I lost everything, the one thing I would never get rid of is my business attire. So I had lost literally my car, money. I didn't have, I had some change in my pocket. Uh, I, I didn't really have much of anything. And I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina in Still Creek, Airsley area. And I had, I had started this new job that it was completely different. It was in uh, SAS, you know, sales. And I didn't know much about that. I just knew the industry had kind of dissipated. Here's an opportunity. I went to it. It's a long story. The gist of it is I, 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 the, the job didn't work out. I didn't have a place to go. I used to sleep in the woods, but I always kept my business attire because I always knew no matter what, if I didn't look like I was homeless, then I wasn't homeless. Right. And uh, I'm a massive Zig Ziglar fan. Um, yeah. You know, I always love Zig's content. I always love his delivery as a speaker, but I always love his ability to be able to be diverse. Him and him and Les Brown are by far my two favorite speakers in the sense of their ability to be diverse to a crowd. A young child all the way up to a senior citizen or an executive can always go and listen to them. And I always love that. Today's speakers, there's an F-bomb dropped every five seconds, and I would never let my eight-year-old daughter go to a conference doing that. I don't understand why that became a cool thing, but um, I think it's yep. – yeah, it's, I'm not a fan of it. I think I should be able to walk it and say, you know, my daughter and I can share this experience together and be able to enjoy this. So anyways, point being is, is that I, I always thought presentation was really important and being a Marine was the same way. So, um, yeah, during that time, you know, going through that experience, um, I had a laptop and I had my clothes and through trials and tribulations of a few things, uh, thank God for Dunkin' Donuts, free Wi-Fi, and their 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 breakfast wrap that you could get two for a dollar. That was breakfast and lunch, and I built a three hundred million dollar company out, out of a, a Dunkin' Donuts free Wi-Fi. Whoa, 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 whoa! Hold the hold the phone. I just took my mic, my my hold 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 on. Hold 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 it hold it, ladies. We are Infinity X with a stage and microphone. Did you, ladies and gentlemen, just hear what he just dropped? He built a $300 million company in a Dunkin' Donuts while not having a home and getting the two-for-one rap special that was breakfast and lunch. What? Bring that fire. Yeah. What happened here, T-Shane? God bless you, brother. And that... Drop it. That was uh listen, let, let me tell you something. When you're going through, you know, you think about what you're going through today in your life and your business. And, you know, you go home and you got a home to go to, you know, you've got uh, maybe some family that loves you, maybe somebody connect. During that time I had, I had no one, I had no family, no partner, absolutely nothing. I was extremely alone. 
Um, you know, I, I, in business, a lot of times when you're going very far and very fast, you lose a lot of the friends that you traditionally had. And um, it was extremely challenging. And of course, the one thing I did know is I had the ability to be able to sell. I had to be able to deliver authenticity to people to connect with them on a way that I guess most couldn't. And I knew that a laptop gave me the ability to have you know the World Wide Web and access to the internet starts developing. So I went on that journey and, and redeveloped myself in the mortgage industry during time when most wouldn't. And I went on a sales journey and I just came in every day as if Duncan was my office. And this was, I was going to utilize this, this opportunity to take it to the next level. You know, it was always weird. Listen, I mean, there's still days I remember <laughs> shutting my laptop off and working there very late and going, looking at all the people I'm wearing a suit and tie and no one even knows I'm going to go sleep in the woods, like just a, a block down the road and lay there uh, on the ground and then get up the next day. And I had a, uh, I had a Planet Fitness membership because it was so cheap. You know, it was $10 a month. Mm -hmm. And I remember I would go and take my showers there. I'd work out. I would do everything, you know, kind of experience that. And then I would go sleep in the woods and I'd get up the next day and I'd make it happen. And I just kept chipping away and chipping away and chipping away. And, you know, I, I don't know. I probably sat in quite a few conversations <laughs> where I may have stretched the truth a little bit as far as um, where I was at in a position in my life. But um, I definitely, you know, faked it until I make it. And, uh, and yeah, and, and, and very fortunate, put together a very phenomenal team a little later and things started to, uh, to come together and it worked out and we did $300 million in sales. Unbelievable, folks. We are Infinity X with a stage and microphone with absolute sheer human excellence. And this is T. Shane Johnson. Follow him on Instagram at T. Shane Johnson. And, uh, you know, I mean, I just am. I don't even know what to say to T Shane, how blown away I am at this, this, this insane story of perseverance, this insane story of chop wood and carry water, chop wood and carry water, right? It is those micro distinctions. The reason that people, and you're so right about this, man, the reason that, um, you know, people more oftentimes than not fail in things like direct marketing and, 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 you know, point to point sales is because they don't, repeat and practice the fundamentals of what makes you an outstanding uh, salesperson, relationship developer, et cetera, right? And practicing your craft. And, you know, I just, I think, you know, just to have the wherewithal and the thoughts to, you know, have the appearance, right? And the, because by the way, I would imagine that during that period of time, you would adopt the mindset, right? When you put on the suit, when you get in front of the laptop, that you put on the mindset of, and, and you weren't in the mindset of, hey, I'm going to go sleep in the woods tonight. You weren't in that mindset. Correct me if I'm wrong. Were you in this, did that create the sense of abundance in you that allowed you to chop the wood and carry the water the way that you did? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, sleeping in the woods is, I mean, that's it's what you do as a Marine. I mean, it's not anything I'm scared of. You know, I grew up poor. I'm not, I'm not worried about sleeping in the woods. I mean, well, I was more worried about not having the ability to be successful. You know, that scared me more than sleeping in the woods. I mean, the opportunity is all I needed. You know, I knew that if I could just get my mind back in the right focus and and stay motivated in the sense of my determination to be successful, you know, based on the time, what, what my goals were as far as success is concerned, I was going to do it. I mean, look, again, I always say, I think it's unfair for me to deliver information to some people because of my experience with God. My experience basically gave me a competitive advantage over most to know that this is a life that is not necessarily real. And, with, and, then, and then that means we can create any kind of identity or any kind of reality that we want. And once I kind of figured that out, I kind of had an advantage over most because I knew this was all a game. 
I knew that the end thing is, is no matter how much money I made or how successful I was, I couldn't take it with me. And I knew that the end game is, is that I was going to go to a place that's way better no matter what. So I thought, you know what, why don't I play the game to win? Why don't I get out here and focus and grind? Why don't I drive? Why don't I do all the things? Because you know what, the, the, the defining moment of homelessness for me wasn't necessarily the ability to be successful. It was the ability to be able to share to others to help them get there. When I watched guys and in, in, in veterans that have served this country in Vietnam era fighting over a can of beer or fighting over a place to stay or fighting over food and realizing that our country is at a massive deficit of our ability to take care of each other, I realized at that point that maybe I can make an impact and it's my job to continue to serve. Now, maybe I can't fit in my uniform anymore. Maybe I can't go out there and run around with a gun anymore. But I tell you one thing, one thing is that I can get out there and make it happen through business. And with business, through what our wonderful country and capitalism gives me the ability to make money. And with money, I can do quite a few things. As Zig Ziglar says, it's not the most important thing, but it's right up there with oxygen. And once you have that, you can employ people. You can give back. You can inspire. You can do things most can't. And I knew that if I could grasp a hold of that, I could help people and change their lives. And that's that's something that I, I had a, I have a debt that I have to pay back, okay? God said to me, this is out to loan. The second life is out to loan. I am financing my life each day. Right? So I have a payment I have to pay every time I do something. So people think I do all these things because like, oh, you're so amazing. You do this. No, it's not. It's honestly a little darker than it is lighter. It's, it's I have an obligation to pay back a loan that was given to me on second chance in life. And if I don't do that, you know, there, <laughs> there could be some issues. So I, I have a fear every day of knowing that I better do something that impacts or changes people's lives or does something because I was given an opportunity that there are a lot of beautiful, wonderful people in this world that didn't get that. And I still, to this day, don't know why me, but I'm sitting here, not going to sit here and take it for granted. So, you know, the things that I do or the, the runs across America or the world records or the money I raise or the sales I make or whatever it is, whoever I help is really just my ability um, to be able to pay back that debt that I owe to God. My God, you're so unbelievably motivating and inspirational. I, I can't, I just, I, I literally don't have the words, man. Um, we are Infinity X stage and microphone, human excellence replay. We are infinityx.com. We are Infinity X YouTube and on the We Are Infinity X app. And T Shane, let's, let's, you'll kind of just jump right into here and now, right? We got about another 13 minutes left, you know, and um, you're up to a lot of really incredible things you just put out there, you know, world record holder, athlete, all these. What, what, what are you up to today? Oh, um, well, we, I, I broke the world record for the most push-ups one hour last year. Um, and that was, uh, kind of took a, took a pause on the charity stuff a little bit. I think we're going to do a charity boxing match where I'm going to do a, a, a box in January. We're going to raise some funds to help, uh, maybe, you know, those down in Florida or do something and try to come Let up with a little something like, uh, each year. I try to do something. Yeah. Let me know. I'd yeah, like it's good. Well, I, uh, we're going to, we're, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're going to, we'll, we'll get some we'll do like a little pay-per-view event and pull in some local people and do some little, little fights. It'll be fun. Um, but right now my main objective is my daughter's coffee business. That's really, really, really what I'm focused on right now is our goal is to build the first hydroponic hydroelectrical, um, uh, self-sustainable coffee farm in existence in the United States. So we're, uh, we're, we're right now putting that together, searching for investors, um, looking for the opportunity to grow and expand that. Um, we started off with a little coffee truck and trailer that my daughter did. It was my daughter's idea. I cannot take any credit at, at all with that. Um, basically, her her idea was to come up with a business two years ago. She called it Big Guns Coffee. 
and we started to learn everything about coffee and everything. She's eight, so that was two years. So, guys, listen, she is eight years old and came up with it. I love it. I love it. Unbelievable. It's a super cool story. If if you get a chance, uh, for those of you listening, go to biggunscoffee.com, go to the About Us story, and you'll see her interviews on on national TV. She did a phenomenal job. It's really, um, there is nothing in this world more motivating than being able to watch a young, independent, strong woman go out and be an entrepreneur and a business leader in the sense of the way she is. It is the most inspiring thing to me, no matter what I've been through and what I've done. Um, it, 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 it ignites a fire in you that is just unbelievable to see this young person uh, do these things. And um, I'm going to burn the world down if I have to, to help her get to where she needs to be for it to be. And everybody drinking it, everybody to be a part of it, everybody to grow it. So all my energy is really focused on that right now. In addition to my speaking and stuff that I do, but right now that's our main objective. Yeah. Well, and I want to hit that in a second too. Tell me what, what's the value proposition of the coffee? Like what, what makes it so special? Well, we're the only hydroponic grown coffee in existence. Um, and, and we basically grow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what we do is um, we use uh, just water to grow our Arabica bean plants in controlled environment greenhouses. Um, 95% of coffee is imported into the United States. Um, and we're going to be an exporter of uh, hydroponic grown coffee. And the idea behind it is, is that um, no pesticides, controlled environment, um, 90% less water uh, than a standard irrigation of coffee would be. Um, we're going to be almost like the, the richest man in Babylon book of coffee. You know, we're going to create an environment where it was never really normally created. And, uh, and we're going we're gonna to spread that out throughout the market. And it's going to be amazing. Really, the idea behind it is really an agro-tourism platform where you will be able to walk into our coffee shops and you'll be able to experience seeing all of our trees growing on the hydroponic system. You'll be able to see the roaster and the cafe. So when you walk in, we'll have a grand harvest where you'll actually be able to harvest bean right from the trees. You'll be able to go over and process and roast it. And then we'll be able to serve it directly to you. And we also recycle it. So that's our little tagline. We grow it, we roast it, we serve it, we recycle it. Uh, we take all the grinds for our coffee. It's a no-waste product. We use the leaves for tea. A lot of people don't realize you can use um, coffee treats, uh, uh, coffee leaves as tea. Uh, it just doesn't taste anything like coffee, so it hasn't really kind of made it to a mainstream market yet. But um, yeah, and that's that's kind of where we're at and what our goal I would, is. I would have I would have to imagine as a result of that model too, your margins have to be really healthy, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, that's that's a whole other part of it. Is is that's a specialty coffee? It doesn't exist. Um, no one has it. No one's doing it. The, the biggest part about it is it takes them into urban communities and allows them to experience that kind of farm to cup process that normally you wouldn't get unless you went out to an agro farm and you experience that in a different country. At this point, I, I know uh, California, Puerto Rico, and um, uh, Hawaii do it, but um, not hydroponically. So, um, yeah, the, the, the margins are going to be amazing on, on a sense of, you know, being able to control that entire market and creating a brand. And it's all the idea of a six-year-old girl and, uh, well, now eight-year-old girl. So, um, and that's the best part about it is, is, is being able to have an, a veteran-owned, American-grown, you know, young woman entrepreneur behind this on a platform. So, we're really hoping that we find investors that want to get behind that. Unbelievable. What type of CapEx are you looking to do, buddy? Um, I think we'd like to go our first round about 5 million. We have our final projections all together and everything put together in our plan. I'd like to see it up about 25 million, depending on how it's at. But I think 5 million is a good strong number based on our numbers and where we want to be. Um, we want to create, it's it's kind of a no waste product when it comes to the tree, which is really cool. Um, at the same time too, with hydroponics, you can you can layer it. 
So in between our vertical growing, meaning we have a tree at six foot and then another set of trees at six foot, um, we can put in enough of about, you know, 1500 greenhouses to grow about a hundred thousand pounds of coffee. In addition to that, we can put in tomatoes and other, um, other growth that can uh, substantiate as we're starting to, to, to uh, get our coffee growth and produce. So it, it's a really, it has never been done before and we're super excited uh, about rolling it out. So why do you not shock me as being the guy that says this has never been done before? Because it seems like you do that a lot, right? <laughs> you are just the most amazing, amazing guy. And, and T Shane, if people have interest in learning and experiencing more, um, like hearing more about, you know, the, um, about the business, big guns, big guns, coffee, right? Big guns. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, Bigguncoffee.com. Of course, all the say it again. Uh, no, I was just, you go ahead. Yep. Yeah. So bigguncoffee.com. They can go there and actually see some of our hydroponic plants and what we're growing and learn a little bit about that as well. Our story, um, as far as what my daughter Charlie's putting together. And then of course, on our social media handles, Big Guns Coffee or, you know, uh, T. Shane Johnson. Incredible folks. We are infinity X stage and microphone human excellence. This is T Shane Johnson, Big Guns Coffee, motivational speaker. And, and um, T Shane, when you're pub, when you're doing public speaking, right. Who are you, who are you speaking to? What's the audience and what's the message look like? Oh, I get, wow. Um, I'm actually quite a different. I just uh, was booked for real estate investment company, fortune builders um, ignite out in Las Vegas. I go to in November um, Siemens and Duke energy. This was a really cool one that they're getting ready to break the world record for the fastest turbine they have here in Charlotte. So they wanted me to come out as a world record holder. And what I did local in Charlotte and come out and speak um, and Guinness is going to be there and they're going to go through the whole process. So that's really fun. I mean, I've, I've done football teams and, and football games and, and you name it. Um, I mean, I, I just love to be able to share the story to different groups. A lot of times it really comes down to, you know, the perseverance and the ability to overcome adversity is usually what people look me for. But um, I custom tailor it specific. I mean, I've got, got so many unfortunate, unfortunate events that have happened in my life that I can pretty much deliver to just about anything at this point. <laughs> and T Shane, I mean, everybody, everybody just heard you're a world record. You're a Guinness world record, not once, but twice, right? Two time world record holder. Um, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes. Um, I've ran across America three times. I've done about 10,000 miles. I used to do events every year where I'd run 22 miles a day for 65 days straight. Um, and, uh, we would, I would, I would put together a speaking tour in it and we would sleep in homeless shelters. And the, the, the platform behind that was, it wasn't a, a corporate speaking tour. It was working with CSR and big corporate companies to go into homeless shelters. And I would inspire the homeless. So I would go in where normal, most speakers wouldn't do that. I would go into a shelter, I'd go into a camp and I would pull them together and I would talk about different ways for them to become successful. One of the ideas I came up with is that, um, you know, we ought to get with, uh, ghostwriters and tell the story of each homeless person and then package it up as a, uh, a book tour or an opportunity for you to be able to come in and read their story or hear about their story um, so that we can connect with them as humans and, and build their name back. Because when you become homeless, you lose your name. The most important thing given to you because people just see you as a homeless person. People don't ask you, are you a Steve? Are you a Dave? Are you a Lisa? Um, you know, and that's ripped away from you horrible it's so true it's so true it's such a stinking shame it, it does it needs a rebrand people don't realize that a large part of it is is 
you know, it's, it's what I like to call, um, you know, middle management. It's the normal person out working every day, trying to struggle to get through that's one crisis away from being homeless. And then they end up on the streets. It can happen to any of us. Um, so yeah, so I ran across America and, um, I ran from New York to Florida as one of my tours and I broke the world record. Actually, I didn't break the world. I set that one. That one had never been done. That was the fastest one mile carrying a 100 pound pack because I had done that run. I think it was like 1900 miles. And I did that run carrying 100 pounds every day for 65 days on a speed oh tour there. So I broke that. Oh my God. I broke that record. I set that record. I'm sorry. I set that record, uh, in the middle of a football game, um, uh, at, uh, ODU. And then last year I did the world record for the most pushups in one hour. The, I think the record, I broke that one. That was 29, 25. I think it was. And I did 3,015 an hour. Oh, and then I attempted, I attempted to do a 32 year world record that hadn't been broken since I think 1989, which was the most pushups in 12 hours, which is yep. 19,325. And I did 16,555 and I messed up. I shouldn't have done What I did is I did them simultaneous. So I did the first hour and I broke that world record. And then I went on for another 11 hours and um, I shouldn't have done that. I should have split them up. And I, I knew I would have had it. My timing was just right. Cause I was over 10,000 in six hours. I was already over 10,000 plus. So I was like crushing it. I was doing really good. And I just passed out in the end because I did, you know, double the pace in the beginning. So um, unfortunately I fell short of that record, but still did 16,500 yeah, for 12 hours. I lost like, I lost like 15 pounds in a day during that record. It was insane. That was, that was by far one of the hardest things I've ever done. That was, oh my God. that sucked. Not gonna lie. I mean, geez, ladies and gentlemen, we are infinity X with a stage and microphone with human. I, I literally, I, I, nobody leaves me speechless and, and, my show, but I mean, I mean, I am literally, I just, you did 16,000 pushups in 12 hours. I mean, and, and you feel like you felt, you I hope to God you don't feel, oh, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, how much use of your arm do you have, T-Shane? Yeah, that's the, that's the rub. So because of my, my injuries, um, my right hand, I only have 40% use. So I have uh, real bad nerve damage all through here. I can't feel anything on this hand. My brachial plexus was torn apart and ripped apart. I have a deformed shoulder blade, um, degenerative back disease, um, blood pressure problems, health problems, anxiety problems. I got a billion things with laundry list of, of health issues, unfortunately. Well, I mean, I mean, uh, that's God bless you, T Shane. And uh, that while while that is, uh, you know, obviously incredibly unfortunate, you sure as hell are not letting that stop you. And I see you in so many different ways in my future, bro. You know, but I think that our audience um, is going to have to replay this tape over and over and over again because the subliminal messages and the messages of perseverance, entrepreneurship, business acumen, savvy, discipline, all of the above, everything is something where it's like a, it's like a really, really terrific music video or a really complex song. You got to listen to it over and over and over again to get the messages. People are going to have to do that with Infinity X here tonight. But how uh, for those that see you in their futures, how do they pay attention to you? How do they keep up with you? How do they contact you? Like, where are the outlets that they need to follow you? Yeah, I mean, obviously, social media is a massive way to connect now. So all of my social media handles are T. Shane Johnson. My my personal website is tshaneinspires.com. Um, I'm pretty sure if you go to those places, LinkedIn, Instagram, you know, you name it, um, you'll be able to find me on there delivering some type of content or something that's going on. So they'll be able to reach out. Um, and then all of my e email information is on there, info at tshanejohnson.com. 
Incredible. Incredible, folks. We are Infinity X, Stage and Microphone, Human Excellence. This is T. Shane Johnson. T. Shane, last message for our good folks out there before we let you get on to your business on this wonderful Tuesday night. And by the way, I cannot thank you enough for everything that you do for this country, everything you've done and everything that you do. Like, bottom line, my heart to yours, man. Seriously. But... um yeah, no, it's, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. I always love being able to share my story on these platforms because it gives me an opportunity to put in a little bit of change on the, on the debt that I owe back. Um, I, I think, I think maybe the thing I would have to say to everyone when I get asked this question is, is that if you've heard anything about my story and you've had the opportunity to, to listen to my message, you'll know that uh, there was a tremendous amount of adversity every single day. Right. I mean, I wake up every day thinking I'm going to die the next. It's the worst feeling in the world to know that maybe I won't make it today. Um, the legacy that I leave my daughter is more important than anything I've ever done. You know, if my daughter was to Google me or to search me or to do something, she'll always know that her daddy was somebody that wanted to do right and good by the world. You know, when they asked her why she named it Big Guns Coffee, she says, you know, I want everybody to feel as strong as my dad is. And, um, you know, there's not a day goes by that I don't get a tear in my eye thinking about that little human and how important that if I had not fought or had not went through that adversity, I would not be here to play a role in her life. So though I may feel that I may not make it to the next and though as a parent and as a person or as a business leader, you may feel that it's going through adversity and troubles, embrace that and see the light in that pain and continue to push forward because there is someone out there that thinks that you're the God almighty, no matter what. And so they understand that concept. And children don't understand that concept yet. They don't know. And they look at you every single day. And I always ask, are you being the God that you would pray to? Are you being the person to encourage that little person to change the world and be more? And um, that's why I fought it. I understand the surface level conversation of business and, and venture capitalists and funding and money and profit and margins, and all of those things. But ultimately, it's the ability to be able to leave something so long that this little human can be inspired and go and change the world, hopefully, um, more than her father did. So uh, I think if you if you have little ones, you have someone special in your life. You know, know that they're uh, they're rooting for you. They may not always say it, but they're rooting for you and continue to push through that adversity and make a difference in the world. We can do that together. Uh, we don't need anything else. T and T Shane, if I could just, you are literally the definition of a, a true. You're a hero. You're an American. You're an American hero. And, and you're her hero and what you're doing to level up is I just, I need to be behind it in every single way. And I, I just, I'm so excited to get to know you more off, off camera, you know, and, and outside of these lights and our chat, by the way, is blowing up. Shout out to Gary Rand, Gary Rand <laughs> show each and every single week. Thank you, Gary. Um, you know, but T Shane, this has been, and shout out to David Hammer, by the way, great comments, brother. Um, this has just been, extraordinary you know and and you know i i hear my uh friend of mine uh sean callagy say all the time he references oprah you know and and uh you know what she left her last show with was i see you i hear you and what you said mattered and and for me it's never been more evident when a person like you gets a stage and microphone that what you say matters right and your message and what you're up to man i mean i just uh I got to tell you, um, you know, every, if everybody doesn't take a look in the mirror tonight and wonder what are spots in my world that I could level up on, you weren't listening tonight. So I thank you 
and my, my audience thanks you from the bottom of our hearts for the service you did to this country, for what you're doing for veterans, for what you're doing for people to inspire them to become the best version of themselves. And by the way, thank you for choosing, choosing door number two. You got it, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, everybody that took the time to listen. Tonight. And folks, uh, thank you all. We are InfinityX.com. We are InfinityX YouTube for our replay. We are InfinityX on the app. And, uh, you know, what else can I say? Tonight has been extraordinary. Tonight has been special. Each and every single week, we are looking to introduce a platform and a microphone for real, true human excellence. And I got to tell you, our, our speakers next week have some big shoes to fill, my brother. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for spending time. T. Shane, you're the man. Thank you for spending some time with us. And ladies and gentlemen, next week, Tuesday, 7 p.m. East Coast, we will see you on We Are Infinity X. T. Shane, have a great night, brother. You got it, sir. We'll see you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Infinity X. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube by searching We Are Infinity X. Until next time.